Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church as we continue on in the study that we're doing through the New Testament. Um, and we've been doing this study for several years now. We're, we're making great progress through the New Testament. We've done the Gospels and we've done the Book of Acts and now we've been uh, working through some of Paul's letters. We're trying to do them in the order we believe he wrote them, um, which is how we sprung out of the Book of Acts and his missionary journeys. And so at this point in time now, we're, we're working through Second Corinthians together. We usually do we a, chap- a chapter at a time, but we're going to do six and seven. They weren't real long. And uh, I thought it would be good to do them together. We've spent uh, the previous weeks working through Second um, Corinthians 5, and we spent four weeks, five weeks, just on that one chapter, because out of the last part of Second Corinthians 5, we derive our mission as a church of one more. And, uh, and so we worked through those last 10, 12 verses um, in great detail, more detail than we normally do, because it impacts our mission and what we do. And actually, we're going to we'll talk just a, a moment or two about our mission once again uh, as we look into Second Corinthians 6, because Paul explains something um, very well in the process. So we'll get to that in a second. And um, like I said, two chapters of Scripture, and we've been moving along. I wanted to say thanks to Fran for taking care last week for me, and, and I heard he did a really good job. He always does. Thank you, Fran, uh, for uh, stepping in and, and taking care of things. Uh, while I was gone, we actually had an opportunity to get away for a few days, a real far journey down to Key West, uh, but we were condo sitting, which isn't a bad deal if you can get it, and, uh, and it was funny, the fireworks were outside the front door of this place, um, you just had to look over the, the building that was in front of us, or it would have been a perfect view, so I got to see the fireworks even though it was raining and never left the house, which is, in my opinion, the perfect way to see fireworks. Normally I settle for watching them on TV because there's no bugs and it's air conditioned. And, and the fireworks started dark, which means I'm, I'm going to have to be out later than I want to be. So, uh, so I like to go to bed at nine. <laughs> That's just me. Um, so anyway, I had a good time and uh, it was nice that everything was being taken care of here. So thank you for that. Okay, I'm back in to what we're going to do. Um, we're going to read 2 Corinthians 6, 7, uh, six and, and 7. I'm just going to start, though, by looking at the first seven verses. I'm going to pause right there, because I want to just tie off the end of our last series and uh, uh, Bible study, talk about uh, a subject, and then we'll pop back in and just cover some of the main points of the rest of 6 and chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll just look at verses 1 through 7 together. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left. Okay, I want to just talk about those verses quickly as it relates to where we ended up 
Second Corinthians 5.21, talking about, and last weekend as well, uh, true righteousness, or a couple weekends ago. And that, that, that's what we're called to. We're called to be a people that are walking the best that we can in the righteousness of God. Not in a self-righteousness, but in a true righteousness that's evidenced by loving well and encouraging others, living by trying to do the next right thing. That we've talked about, that's what that looks like. That too often the church confuses that idea with this very judgmental, critical self-righteousness which has a negative impact on people and which is something that we're constantly sorting to deal with. Um, that there's a lot of bad stereotyping of what Christians are um, in our community and in every community. And, and so we have to do things to try and counteract that, to let, them, let people know that... that um, you know, we, we want to live righteous lives, but that we understand what that looks like. It's not pretend, it's not fake, it's not mean, it's not you know, looking like we're better than anybody else. It's, it's honestly trying to work this thing out the best that we can every day. Loving on God and loving on others, which is the foundation, and, and living by trying to do the next right thing. That that's all we're really trying to accomplish. And some days we do much better than other days. And yet that's all part of the deal. Some days are just not very good days at all. I don't know if you've ever had those. Yes, you have. Uh, and some days are much better days. And this is all part of the process. And not having to be pretend or anything else along the way. And I like what Paul begins to talk about in these verses. Um, as he talks about now is the day of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. That, that um, because Jesus has come... The opportunity is available um, for people to come to know God and, and, you know, the time is now. And what Paul didn't want to do with his ministry or their ministry at all is put a stumbling block in anyone's way, which was all this division and stuff that he was dealing with and all the hypercritical stuff and the legalism that was trying to find its way in. He said, we don't want to make it so that people can't get to God. We want to help them find their way into that relationship. And then he talks about the things that they went through. Troubles, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger. Um, that's not the, um, the uh, that we want you poster that you need to get out there to get people into the kingdom. Oh yeah, come on in, be disciples, and you get to enjoy with us beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. Um, we don't usually pitch from there uh, but he picks it up in verse 6 and makes it better purity understanding patience kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love that's a much better draw I think um, but he's just being real that these are the things that he's faced in his ministry and uh, and that he's done it for the sake of the gospel and and uh, that he's trusted God through it all then in verse 7 this really kind of ties into our mission that we looked at he says all of that happens in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left. Um, and, and to me, that just kind of is a perfect review verse for the main concepts of our mission. Truthful speech in the power of God is our radical message once again. And, and we've talked about the radical message, message we have. It's the good news of Jesus Christ and what that means, a simple message and yet confounding to a lot of people. Jesus... Um, uh, came fully God and fully man born in a supernatural miraculous way lived a sinless life among us experienced everything that we experienced and yet never sinned um, so he understands us he gets us and then he willingly went to the cross and there he gave his life 
Um, and he died there on the cross. He didn't just faint or pass out or fake it or anything else. He died. And then he defeated death and he rose again. And now he intercedes for us. That, that's the, the heart of the gospel message. And, and the resurrection was witnessed by hundreds of people. That's part of it as well. Um, uh, that simple message is the power of God to change lives in the people all around us. That's it. It's, it's getting that at some level and in faith accepting that message and allowing then the transforming power of God through the Holy Spirit to begin his work in us. But that's it. That's what we're here for. That's the deal. That's the message. Everything else that we add to it or make it harder with or everything else is just extra. That's it. So um, that's what we're trying to get to people. That message. Opportunities to share that message is what it's all about. How do we do it? The weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, to me, talk about the two other main concepts that we used out of 2 Corinthians 5.21. Radical hospitality in one hand and radical generosity in the other. That's how we impact people in this spiritual battle on a horizontal level to try and break up some of these stereotypes that we have to deal with that the church has made for herself. And so this radical idea of radical generosity to me is, is you know, um, the whole concept of encouraging other people because we, we live in a world that doesn't do that. You know, it's not their deal. They're really mostly focused on themselves and it's kind of a, a rarity to be focused about other people. And I, I'm trying to get all of us to have that focus where at least a couple of times a day we're getting outside the box and seeing how we can bless people. And then the outreaches that we do pretty much all the time that we can to stop and make people think. That's, that's what it's all about. How can we stop and make people think and, and bust up some of the stereotypes? And then the, the other weapon that we have is radical hospitality, which um, we, we use hopefully to make people feel comfortable. Um, and, and in the process, it breaks down religious barriers so that they can hear and, and receive this radical message of reconciliation that we have. Um, and it's, it's a tested and tried method of the church when you read they were always getting together and eating together because it makes people comfortable so if you read from Jesus was always doing it and that the early church was always getting together in homes and they were hanging out and eating and talking about Jesus why because the whole concept the whole the whole um, fellowship of, of what happens at meals is is an amazing God-giving thing that builds relationship and makes people comfortable um, we're, we're usually more comfortable when we're eating And, and that makes sense, right? So we, we have that together. And, and just as a sort of a review from, our, from that last chunk of series, that's what it looks like. That's what this righteousness looks like that he's talking about. Loving God, loving others, and, and loving ourselves by doing the next right thing. It's all tied together with everything that we're talking about. And Paul was reemphasizing that in those verses as he talks to the church in Corinth. All right, let's pick it up in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 6. I'm going to read all the way through 8, uh, 6, and then all the way through chapter 7 as well, okay? So I better take a drink of water now. Here we go, 2 Corinthians 6, 8 and following. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us as a fair exchange. I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. 
Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not an account not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me, but just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Uh, in chapter 6 and 7, Paul talks about some of the things um, that love looks like in the lives of believers. And, and he starts with those first uh, 13 verses or so, Second Corinthians 6. And what he's getting at is that sometimes love means self-sacrifice. And and so Paul reviewed some of the hardship he endured in his ministry, um, but that he had endured those things as a servant of God out of love. And in response to that, he's asking the Corinthians to open their hearts wide to love as well. Uh, And remember now this, this church and all that we've talked about in the church in Corinth. They were a mess. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on. There was a lot of divisions. There was a lot of attacks against Paul personally. There was a lot of strife. 
and Paul is, is, has been ministering to them through the letters and the people that he sent to help them get back on track. And so there's a lot of friction that's gone on there. There's been a lot of stuff that Paul had to address in the church, uh, he, and he did it lovingly, but still, um, working through those things is difficult. And he says to them, listen, we've been through a lot, and he's, not, he's just saying, because that's what this, this whole thing is about, there's a lot that goes with it, um, but we've done it all because our hearts are open to you. We love you. And all we're asking for is that you understand why we did it and that you love us as well. And that you love like God loves to the world around you. Because that's really the whole deal. That's what has to happen. We have to love like that. Um, you know, through, he said, and let me just, 8 through 13 again. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten, not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Open wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. We've loved you. It's, it's, it's been involved in all of this, all of the good stuff and all the bad stuff and all of the hard stuff and, and all the correction and everything that we brought in. It's because we loved you. And, and our hope is that you'll return that love for the kingdom of God, to the glory of God. Then in the next chunk of scripture, the back end of 2 Corinthians 6, through the first verse of 2 Corinthians 7, uh, Paul then links into this discussion that says that love um, means refusing to be linked with evil. Um, Our walk with Christ calls for us to stay far away from everything that contaminates body and spirit, which is 7-1. So, Let's talk about that for a minute because I'm always telling you that, the, that we're not supposed to get ourselves so out of the culture that we can't minister to them and yet those verses make it sound like, well, get separate, get out, get away. And, and so I, I want to make sure that, that you understand the difference between being um, and living in and among the world and being so connected to it that there's no difference because that's, that's really the difference. See, we're, we're to be in and among the world, but we're not to be living the same way the culture around us live. We're supposed to be in there living for God um, with that kind of righteousness that we already talked about that's is real, but makes is different than what the world has going on. So we, we talk about that as living by trying to do the next right thing. And, and so we're seeking after the things of God and the will of God, and and then not being dragged down by the culture that's all around us, although that's the constant sort of battle. Because the culture is always trying to drag us down. It's always trying to get us to compromise. It's always trying to get us complacent. It's always trying to pull us off of the truth just a little bit. It's constant. It's a constant barrage. It's, a, it's constant against the church. It's constant against believers. Um, and it's some, sometimes it's very subtle and sometimes it's not subtle at all. But it's, it's constant. And, and so, you know, the knee-jerk reaction is, um, and has been throughout history, that, you know, what God's people need to do then is just get so away from the culture that they're not influenced by it. But then we can't fulfill our mission. See, that's the problem. It's, it's very hard when you're living in a monastery, not picking on the monks, because I like the monks. Um, they give us some good jokes and some great chanting music. Have you ever listened to that? It's really cool. No, I'm being serious now. <laughs> Not picking on the monks. 
And, and there was a season in church history when they really kept the whole thing going. So, you know, the monks out in the desert, when, in the height of the persecution, kept everything running. Anyway, but it's very hard to impact people from uh, being closed off like that. And that's what we're here for. We're here to impact people. I mean, that's, otherwise we could just go to heaven. We have a mission. We have a ministry. We have a calling. We have a purpose that can only happen uh, among the people who need it. And you need to look no further for an example than Jesus. Where was Jesus? He, he, he was the picture of holiness and righteousness, and he was not hiding out away from the people. He was always in the midst of the people, always where, you know, the, the, the religious people wouldn't go. That's where Jesus was. But he was never pulled down and dragged into the culture. He, he lived as, you know, the, the life that he lived as a model and an example. And so um, being separate, I want to make sure you understand that concept there, means that, that we, uh, it, it doesn't mean that we don't, stop being among the people who who don't know Jesus yet it means that we're just not to live the same way that they do our lives should be noticeably different but not in a self-righteous way okay that's the difference I mean don't be don't be pretend I mean it's you you are what you are you do what you do Um, but but your life after you've been with Christ and walked with him should start to be different than the world around you just should be and, and you don't have to announce it, proclaim it, do any of those other things. You just have to live it in front of people. And that's what ultimately is the biggest conversation starter that, that there is. Um, and so uh, that's how we live, all right? Um, and that's what that whole thing is about. Don't, don't get so linked to it that you can't be, uh, you, there's no difference between you and the culture. Because there should be significant difference. Even as we live among the culture, there should be a significant difference in the things that we are, um, are doing as we're led by the Spirit, which he'll, he'll let you know what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Um, and then uh, 2 Corinthians 7, the rest of it, um, he, Paul's saying about love that it's a source of great joy even in difficult situations. It's really what allows us to process through no matter what we face. And, and the, the relationship... Uh, that Paul had with the Corinthians had been difficult for everyone at times. Uh, as I said, the church had caused uh, Paul to feel great anxiety over them. The letter that Paul had written to them to correct some things had caused them sorrow. Uh, and yet, the sorrow, this is the, the big important point of the back half of Second Corinthians 7, had done something um, that it was supposed to do. Um, their sorrow had moved the Corinthians to repent and to change. And repentance and change brings life. And, and that's what happens. And that was the goal of his letter that he'd written um, in love in dealing with the hard issues. Remember, he presented his, his truth to them in love. Verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow brings death. So he wasn't being um, critical of them trying to make them feel condemned, he was pointing out what truth looked like in order that they would be convicted, which is a big difference, conviction of, of the, God's conviction, the, Spirit of, the Holy Spirit, when he convicts us, what, what that does is make us want to run to God. Condemnation makes us want to run away from him. And that's the big difference. And so, so this godly sorrow um, produces... Repentance. It produces a conviction that, that causes us to run back to God to straighten things out. Because that's where life is found. And that's the difference uh, in how things are presented. So he, Paul's willingness to love the Corinthians, uh, even in those diffi- difficult situations, meant that uh, a huge uh, 
potential catastrophe was avoided in Corinth because of the way Paul loved them. That could have gone either way. And it was significant, and it didn't. They, they hung in there, stayed on track, and impacted the church, you know, for generations because of what happened. It, you know, you, Paul, it would have been easy for Paul when they wrote that letter saying, who do you think you are, to just go, <laughs> we'll just forget you then. These other churches like me. Who needs you? Right? That could have been one of the possible answers. You know, ask somebody else. <laughs> find, your, find a different apostle. Um, but he didn't. What did he say? No, okay. We're going to dig in and we're going to love him back onto the right track. And that's what he did. And, and so they were set back on the path of righteousness. And, and that kind of righteousness is the kind of righteousness that can reach out of the world for Christ and have a significant impact on the kingdom of God. And that's what it did. And we will end there for today. Uh, if you're watching on video or television, thank you so much for spending this time with us. We know how valuable your time is and we appreciate you spending these minutes with us. Um, if there's anything that we can pray for for you or whatever, go to our website, keysvineyard.com, and we will certainly get back to you and do whatever we can. But thank you for being uh, a part of this time with us today.